0: Doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is—the return to glory. McDavid
1: stops up, what a move!
0: Shoots, scores!
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Outsiders. I'm Bryn Griffiths, along with Robin Brownley. How you doing today?
3: I'm excellent. Ready for episode four. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Oh, it seems like just four weeks ago we started
2: this. (laughs) And the response has been fantastic. Uh, Getting emails too, which we really appreciate. It's real simple to get a hold of us. All you do is drop us an email, mightymouth at shaw.ca, and uh, we uh, we respond pretty fast. So thanks once again for all of your thoughts, what you'd like to hear, what you don't want to hear, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's been pretty upbeat, so we're pretty positive about that
3: you've passed most of these along to me, Bryn. Uh, have we had anybody that s- has said, stop, you suck
2: yet? No, I think that that's more of a public radio thing than it is a podcast thing. Because if somebody doesn't want to be listening to us, why would they download the
3: show? Right? That's the way I view it. Good point. Yeah. Although some people, once they've done it, they'll go, well, there's 50 minutes of my life I'll never get back.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not too worried about that. Nope. Every- everybody's been great. So it's been fantastic. Okay, let's dig in. Lots of stuff coming up on the show today. We are going to start our NHL look around the West, and we're going to start in Calgary today. We're going to be chatting with Peter Labardius, who is the color commentator on Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary. And Peter's going to give us a kind of a look ahead to the Flames and their training camp. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the Flames offseason season and the other thing too this is a weird off season because not only do the Oilers and Flames get involved with an exchange of personnel well it's really weird how that whole thing worked out we'll we'll uh, we'll get to that it, it almost makes me want to have to shower it's just it's an uncomfortable thing when the Flames and the Oilers are watching guys be it was like watching Grant Fuhrer play for the Calgary Flames it just didn't seem right
3: you mean all the swapping that's going on.
2: exactly, all that kind of stuff. So looking forward to chatting with Lou about that and uh, some other stuff. We we don't get a chance to talk to Pete very often, so uh, pretty pumped up about it. Also, the longest game of baseball took place in Sherwood Park, Alberta, a few weeks ago for a great cause. We're going to talk to Mr. Longest Game of Everything, Brent Sake, who is a noted ophthalmologist in the city of Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And he uh, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, Cancer has touched him. He'll tell us exactly why this longest game of baseball generated over $600,000. And some people who will be listening to us outside of the Alberta region are going to go, well, why would I care? Well, you should. Because $600,000 to cancer research benefits everybody, not just the one area. So we'll talk to Brent about that coming up a little bit later on.
3: If there's somebody out there that hasn't been touched by this horrible disease directly or indirectly, uh, count your blessings. That's why it's important to everybody.
2: Okay, let's get going with our warm-up, as we usually do. Top sports story for me over the last seven days since we last checked, and we even alluded to it briefly last week, and that was Bianca Andrescu. Wow. An amazing Canadian story, winning the Women's Singles Championship. Not only did she win it at the U.S. Open – she beat Serena Williams to do it. Serena didn't give her as much credit as I thought she should have. She Serena was bitching and whining about her serve and, and I you know, at some point it isn't what's wrong with giving your opponent a little bit of credit once in a while. Like, well, you know what? She was better than me today, and you know what? Bianca was better than her on that one particular day.
3: Well, absolutely. You know, I watched it and I don't remember the last time I watched a match from start to finish. I tell you what, the thing that's so impressive about this teenager, I mean, Bianca's 19 years old. She's not just a front runner. She has got backbone. I tell you what, in that second set, when it was five to one people, and I was one of them, oh man, she's taking out the champ in a hurry here. Five, two, five, three. <laughs> yeah. Five, four. Five five, And now you're going.
2: Someone's going to shit their pants here is the expression we've heard used once or twice on this show.
3: And I thought I knew who it was. Yeah. The young one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? She dug in that. I, I use the term bulldog and lots of athletes have it. You're not going to beat me. So she had a little wobble, a little high speed wobble there. And you could see the crowd and the crowd was now getting oh, behind yeah. Serena standing after the points and after the games. And good, that's part of you don't get to win in in a perfect setting. Serena Williams, to me, is the greatest of all time, despite being a little bit less than graceful in in, in some of her uh, post-match comments. But this was a tough spot. And I tell you what, if you get caught up in that moment, it's easy to get swept away. And now you're playing a third set against, you know, so we know where the momentum goes there. I thought it was gutsy. I thought it was inspiring. And this is a terrific story, frankly, no matter what side of the border you're on.
2: I totally agree. And and the other thing, too, you're beating her on her own territory. And I don't know how many times I looked at the television and said,
1: Sit down, Spike! Shut up, Spike!
3: I I liked how he coordinated so that he was wearing his Barney the dinosaur outfit. I thought it was very stars.
1: very
2: nice, a nice touch. But nonetheless, I I just I thought it was a marvelous achievement by a Canadian in a very tough situation. And the other thing is, as I'm watching this whole thing play out, I'm starting to say to myself, okay, so we had the Raptors winning the NBA title this year, and to me, that was at that point the all-time top Canadian sports story. For 2019, now this comes along, and I'm going, is that going to be enough to bump off the Raptors from being the top sports story of the year? Do you have a thought on that?
3: Uh, For me, it is. How many Canadians on that Raptors roster? There's that. Okay, so we've got a yes, it's a Canadian-based city, and you know what? It was a terrific run. It grabbed everybody. Me saying Bianca beating Serena Williams, for me, uh, being the story of the year, it doesn't diminish that Raptors thing. I, uh, the NBA, uh, I enjoy to no end, and that was absolutely terrific. It doesn't matter what happened leading up to it, um, or that their MVP is now gone. Um, I tell you what, it was a real fun ride to follow along, and you know what, people from right across the country got behind it. But I tell you what for a 19-year-old girl to beat the greatest women's ten- tennis player of all time as she did uh, in her home territory and coming only a couple of weeks or a few weeks after she was ahead 3-1 to one in that scene they had at courtside where she went over to Serena Williams and comforted her um, in, when she could no longer go on, to me... That's setting the stage for the following. It makes it the greatest story. And it does make me a little, I don't really care what athletes say in after defeat in terms of disappointment normally, because you understand it hurts, but framed in what Bianca had done for her just a couple of weeks later to come out with a somewhat, well, I didn't play that well. It was my worst game. I thought that was a bit cheesy on Serena's part.
2: The other thing too, and a very good friend of mine brought this up because this has obviously become a bit of a conversation because people seem to love to talk about stuff like this. I said, okay, so what's the top sports story? And he, like you, said, well, I would. I'm I'm veering to the tennis one. The reason being is I might have been inclined to watch the NBA anyway in the playoffs. I'm not a tennis guy. This yeah, this kid just drew me to watch tennis up against the banjo bowl. Which is always a fun game in the <laughs> CFL. So, I, you know, I the only thing for me is you had a city of, well, what's what's the population in Toronto now? Let's say close close to five million. The place just completely shut down. People were watching all over the place across Canada. I'm not. I'd like to see the TV numbers on it. However, I still I don't think I want to put all of my eggs in that one basket and say that that would be a determining factor for me and what would be the biggest sports story in Canada this past year. But I I do tend to agree with my friend. I think it it probably pushed more people to watch tennis, which is a sport we don't watch an awful lot of, as opposed to basketball, which we might have kind of watched a little bit anyway.
3: I don't know. Food for thought. You and other people may be different than me. By me thinking it's the story of the year, I'm not saying it's the greatest achievement of the year, Uh, the most noteworthy. What I look for when we talk about stories of the year is that emotional attachment. And while watching the Raptors win was a lot of fun and, hey, uh, we the North and all that stuff, which became she the North for Bianca, it was a lot of fun. And again, no slight, but for the emotional attachment based on how it set up a few weeks later and having a 19-year-old face the old grizzled vet, uh, to me, that grabbed the feels a lot more than the Raptors did. That's why, for me at least, it's story of the year. Your feedback, always
2: welcome. Just drop us an email, at mightymouthatshaw.ca. Give us your thought, or two, or three, or four. On that particular topic. Okay, let's move over to the Canadian Football League, the CFL West. Where do you want to start with this one? Let's let's start with the Edmonton Eskimos, who still haven't really beaten anybody, and uh, the free fall continues. But now they're kind of chirping at one another a little bit. That was quite the scene at the game at
3: Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday night. Oh, I tell you what, I understand the heat of the moment, but that still is odd. You see it in, I mean. There's training camp uh, fights, which are generally useless anyway. This was not a fight. But this the, the, the shoulder pad to the helmet and then the push from behind. The thing for me is, again, I get the heat of the moment thing, but in the bigger picture, uh, that's a little bit lack of discipline. And when you have the general manager in Brock Sunderland – going down to the sidelines and walking in front of the bench and looking none too happy, he's essentially saying, hey, look, everybody, I'm here. Now, to me, having the head coach standing on the sideline should prevent any of that stuff, and the question for me that comes out of what we've seen with the third straight loss, another loss to Calgary, and a lot of fans feeling, as you just mentioned, they haven't beaten anybody yet, is what about Jason Moss?
2: Do we want to go down that road right now? I think we can, yes. See, here's the thing. If they don't get to the Grey Cup, and I know you and I have talked about this before. they don't get to the Grey Cup game, I don't see him hanging around. I just don't see it because you still have to sell tickets for next year, and if it's the same old show year after year after year, ticket sales are going to hurt a little bit. I was watching the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots the other night. I mean, eventually, at some point, the Pittsburgh Steelers have got to make a coaching change. You can't keep the same
3: person in there time after time after time, do you? (laughs) Well, I tell you what, when it becomes we've seen this movie before, that's when it's a problem. Now, I was at the walkthrough this week, and I appreciate Jason's fire. I like passion. But I asked him a question about the previous Calgary game, and I framed it in this way. I said, you didn't really give yourself much of a chance to win this. Uh, your your defense didn't get much done. Uh, your offense, for the first time in a long time, wasn't only held uh, out of the end zone from within the red zone, but really uh, you didn't rack up a ton of yards and just not score. And Jason looked at me, and his answer was about five minutes with the with everybody there. Yeah, and he was fired up. You, I thought we did have a chance. He took what I said literally, as opposed to you didn't really win any one aspect of the game. I appreciate that, and he was he was you know staring right at me when he answered, and that's good. But I tell you what, you've it when your team is. I would say consistently undisciplined. Not not every game, not in every key situation, but an event like this that prompts the GM to come down to the sideline. To me, that's a very strong statement. Yeah. When you are one of the most penalized teams in the league year after year, at some point you say, Is this a team that's in control? And a lot of it has to go when things are going well, coaches get credit, especially the head coach. When things are consistently on the negative side of the ledger, you look at the coach as well. And I don't doubt that Jason Moss wants to win as much as anybody else. I don't doubt his passion for the job. But is he getting it done and can he survive anything less than getting to a great cup final this year? I don't know. And maybe I'm being a little harsh on Mike
2: Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I just think lately that they just don't seem to be showing me enough. And some of that's got to fall on Ben Roethlisberger as well. You just, you, you just, some of you know, some of it's going to fall on the coaches. some of it's going to fall on the players with the Edmonton Eskimo situation. I think they've got some hothead players out there that need to do a better job of Mm reigning in. There's only so much a coach can do from the sidelines, but I I tend to agree with you. I think that at some point, the coach is going to get some on him, and we'll see whether or not he gets any on him from this point forward through the remainder of the CFL season. And as for the CFL West, it's becoming very obvious to me now, with Bo Levi Mitchell back at the helm, the Calgary Stampeders, I think are going to Very quickly take a uh, comfortable stranglehold on top spot while watching both the games between Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. Uh, They they split, and I think that that's probably a pretty good indication of these two teams are pretty close. So they'll be fighting it out for third place in the West. Okay, let's get to some hockey stuff, and then we're going to get to Peter Labardius. Uh, Edmonton Oilers got to be very happy because Connor McDavid stepped back on the ice and skated, and by all accounts... He looks like he's okay.
3: Whoa, 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 Bryn. Have we heard definitively from Toronto yet whether McDavid is okay? (laughs) No, we have not. (laughs) So it's not really official, is it?
2: No, I guess you're right. You know, just because people here can see with their own eyes that he can skate up and down and... Players who are on the ice against him say, he's blown by me as fast as he blew by me last year. No, maybe you're right. Maybe we should wait for the definitive statement to come out of the center of the universe. The big smoke.
3: And did he look happy about being back?
2: (sighs) That's another big
3: one. You know what, though, in all seriousness, Bryn? (laughs)
2: Oh, we're not going to go down that road on this one, are we? Because you and I both are at the exact same point on this. Like,
3: they don't know. No, as long as... Connor McDavid is ready to go when the puck drops with two points on the line. Look, he doesn't make, you know, he doesn't have to make the team. You know, it would be good if he got into a preseason game or two just to stretch the wickets and and get, you know, back to game speed, which sounds silly when you're talking about McDavid, but back into the flow. But if he doesn't, it's all good. He's not doing those drills. If you watch the footage of the, at that skate, if he's... The schedule is the schedule, and I don't see anything or hear anything that leads me to believe Connor McDavid is anything but right on schedule.
2: I also think that nobody owes anybody anything, right? In other words, he didn't have to. You didn't have to step up and tell anybody. I, I'm feeling pretty good this week. No, I'm feeling pretty good this week. Goal you know play. what? I'm a little bit better this week. He just kept his head down and did what he usually does, mm-hmm. and and I have no trouble with that as well. A couple of quick hockey notes: Joe Thornton, another one-year deal, unbelievable with the San Jose Sharks. How much? How much more can Joe have left in the tank?
3: <laughs> the shark tank. I I just realized uh. that's a bad. I just realized that's a bad pun. We need a. We need a zing sound effect there. You know what? I'm a little bit surprised he came back. He, you know, he hurt that knee a couple of years ago. He's obviously been back since then. Joe's got nothing left to prove uh, as a player. He's not going to win a Stanley Cup with this uh, Sharks team. I don't think they're there. But, hey, he's back. Good for Joe. We've said it before, and we can say it again, Bryn. The player calls that shot. Absolutely. Joe wants to play. Go play, Joe. Yep. I like him, too. Good guy.
2: The other thing, too, very, very quickly, because I don't want to even go down this road because I've we've done this enough but the NHL and the NHL Players Association meeting this week regarding the collective bargaining agreement, sounds like the league is happy with the direction everything is going. Starting to sound like the players are also not having a major issue with it, but it's a simple meeting that they have to have. And so I say thumbs up, go forward and don't put us through another lockout. It's as simple as that. Okay, you ready to get to Peter? Absolutely, Peter Labardius. We've known Pete for a very, very long time now. He's the color commentator on the Calgary Flames radio broadcasts on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pete has also done his share of play-by-play, and uh, you and I still laugh about the one, the one magical moment for him, where, uh, well, you know what? This is this is does this not sum up Pete? This clip?
3: Yes, it does. I, I
2: think it
1: does. Maybe one last gasp here for the Oilers. Bergeron fans on a pass. Stephens steals and he'll ice it. Oh, at least I thought he was going to until he blew it. That's unbelievable. Here come the Oilers the other way. And Hemsky's loose. Hemsky, he scores. Can you believe what we just saw?
3: <laughs> until he blew it. Isn't that... It's a great call. Fan and, and we talk about this stuff, Bryn. I'll tell you what, because Pete would never say this. I think it's one of the greatest calls ever. Not because it's a Stanley Cup is won, or you know, it decides a championship. But imagine the circumstances. A player with a skate in the blue paint on an empty net salted away. Okay, that's a comedy clip on the nightcast. If he, if he falls down and the puck doesn't go in, team still wins. But to have the Oilers with that little time left on the clock come all the way back up the ice and score, man, I tell you what, and the call was a great one. That's a tremendous call. He summed
2: it up beautifully. We'll chat with Peter Labardius when we come back right here on The Outsiders. Pro-Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia. Featuring unique collectibles and apparel. We've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. We're back on The Outsiders. Joining us from Calgary is the radio color commentator for the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960 to Fan, Peter Labardius. How you doing, Pete?
1: I am awesome. Even better now talking to you guys.
2: Well, th- <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, tell us about your summer, and let's talk about the Calgary Flames summer. It's uh, It's been interesting in so many ways. Where do you want to go with this one?
1: Well, I'll, nobody cares about my summer so we'll probably uh talk about the calvary flame summer which i would suggest guys didn't necessarily transpire the way a lot of people had hoped uh you have to have some partners in order to make some deals and there'd been names rummaged around tj brody michael frolic but the main topic and there there have been a lot of interesting things though that happened In the summer, when you think about Lou Cheech and Neil, that probably would be at the top of the list. The fact that Mike Smith is going to be the goalie in Edmonton and Cam Talbot makes his way to Calgary. I'm not sure anybody saw that coming. So, you know, by and large, gents, that would be right at the top of the list. And things have changed in Calgary. Uh, An incredibly disappointing first-round exit. But on the other hand their best regular season in 30 years and a first place finish in the west so expectations are still really high matthew kachuk remains unsigned so a lot of balls in the air a lot of optimism but a lot of What's going to happen next might be the best way to summarize it.
2: Peter, you brought up the fact that we had all this Oiler flame stuff going on with you have Neil and uh, and Smith coming to Edmonton and obviously Lucic and Talbot going down to Calgary. It almost makes one feel a little dirty with the way it's all kind of worked out because these two teams usually don't do this kind of stuff. It doesn't work out this way no, very often.
1: N- no, it doesn't. I mean, Steve Steos, by my recollection, Laddie Smead was part of one of those but in the history of the two teams no you're right it it doesn't happen very often now you know one a couple of things the goalies that's just the way it was meant to work out mike is back with dave tippett and cam talbot was looking for a new lease on life and because of the fact that mike opted to go in a different direction the flames couldn't come back and go all the same way um you know the Lucic for neil Scenario is one of the most fascinating trades, and, and even more Alberta teams that are involved. No, you're right. Didn't see probably any of that stuff coming, but now, now really fascinated on all fronts to see where it goes from here. Uh,
3: Peter, the the Lucic Neal situation uh, is especially compelling up here. Uh, You know, the goaltending is also part of the swap we talked about, but fans up here for the longest time thought uh, getting out from underneath Milan Lucic's contract was going to be impossible. Now, outside of his first year here, it just hasn't worked for Milan in Edmonton, obviously. From the Calgary end of things, what do you think, What's the best-case scenario at this point in his career for Milan Lucic in Calgary?
1: Well, I think part of the narrative, Robin, that people aren't talking about enough is what do you judge someone to be in terms of the point of the career they're at but what you're looking for? The Calgary Flames aren't looking for Milan Lucic to come to Calgary and score 20 goals. They're not. I personally think Milan Lucic could come here, score you 8 to 10, and be exactly what they need. The Flames have really felt since Derek England parted ways and ended up in Vegas that they have not had a deterrent in their lineup. And we all know, all three of us know that, yes, the game has changed. Yes, if you look at a deterrent as just somebody who's tough and can fight, That's not the same. But here's what never changes in life and in sports, intimidation. And the other thing that doesn't change is we're all a little braver when we go into a bad situation if we have buddies that can help us, you know, bail our tails out of it. And so I can't even really compare them because I think they're looking both teams for two different things. But what the Flames are looking for is they're looking – for Milan to be a deterrent. They're looking for him to have a new lease on life. They're looking for him to come into more of a veteran leadership group. That, Frankly, to be honest, is what he is certainly more used to in his National Hockey League career. And in the case of James Neal, if you're the Oilers, you're hoping that last year was a one-off after 10 consecutive 20-goal season. So, you know, people are going to compare them, and they should in a sense, but I, I, I don't see it that same way. That's just my own personal take. Uh, I can see a situation where both these guys who also are at a point in their career where maybe the time has just come, and I don't know the answer, you don't know the answer, I'm not sure they know the answer. But but it's not the simple narrative that that I hear in a lot of different places. I, I just feel very different about
3: that. You know, I'm with you on that, Pete. I actually think and, and uh wrote here in town, I think this could be a win win uh proposition for for both teams. Now take the money out of it. The money it's spent money. Um can Milan Lucic bring the flames Uh, Something that they need? The answer is yes. And it does matter, like you said. Milan Lucic can calm down a situation just by looking at somebody. Some people might not want to hear that. Oh, it doesn't show up on my spreadsheet, so it can't be true. It matters. If James Neal is going to have a bounce back here after 10 years of 20 plus goals, I would think he's got a pretty good chance of doing that with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysidel, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins up front. This could be a situation, again, it's spent money, where both teams get what they want.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. That's, That's exactly how I read it. And as I alluded to earlier in my previous answer, I think both teams are looking for different things. And because that's the case then, you know, in this world now of analytics and everything equates to a number, and if you don't have this number, you're no good or you're not valuable. I'm sorry. Building a team that can win requires way more than just what somebody's numbers are at the end of the year. I know it's where everybody wants to look in this new fantasy way of looking at sports, but, you know, you can call me old, you can call me grumpy, you can say that my time has passed i'm sorry hockey is still about being a team and teams involve humans and dynamic and confidence and all of those things and i sure as hell still haven't seen a graph that measures that when you start giving me those not to say there's not a place for all that stuff because there is but you can't measure some of those things
2: i got to ask you, though, what happened with James Neal last year? I've heard a lot of excuses, but what's your assessment of what happened really? What what really went on down there?
1: Well, he played a lot of hockey yeah. in the two previous years, chasing a Stanley Cup. I think he was really hurt. I I think he was at a point where he came in. There would have been a lot of talk about him playing with Gaudreau and Monaghan. That didn't happen, and to be honest, and I'm a big James Neal fan, that was on him. Elias Lindholm just played better from the preseason on and, and had a great year. And, you know, it didn't necessarily start well in a couple of cases. It's... And here's the other thing that happens, Bryn. I think it's really hard in life when you've been really, really good at something for a long time, And all of a sudden, it's not working. Yeah. Now you're you're questioning yourself. You probably felt right off the hop like maybe you were sold a bit of a bill of goods. Hey, as we all learn in life when things change and we have some pretty big bumps in the road and things don't work out, the one person we better take a long look at is us. And that's not easy to do.
2: And, Pete, the other and thing, too, is you got to find a way to reinvent yourself many times, yes, right?
1: Y- yes, you do. And, and you have to be honest with yourself. And you can't blame other people for the fact that things aren't going your way. And I'm not saying James did. Right. But what I, But what I am saying is, in life, if everything is going your way, and, yes, everybody's got minor blips and bumps in the road... But wouldn't last year have been the first, I mean, he scored six, seven goals Yeah. after doing what he'd done year after year. You know, let, let's not forget, I, I personally believe it's way harder on people who lose their confidence, who have never really had to question, than it is for people who have kind of been the grinders and the battlers. Because they're used to it. And, and the more experienced and the more used to it you are, I think it's easier to handle. So it didn't start well. Um, it didn't end well for him. He never found it. Now, he's a proud guy. And Edmonton is banking on the fact that this was a one-off. And we'll see how it goes.
2: Peter Labardi is joining us today on The Outsiders from Calgary. We appreciate his time. Let's get to Matthew Kachuk's situation because this is obviously a big signing. But it's a, you got to be really careful with this one. Because this could really set, set a benchmark, a dangerous one.
1: Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, Matthew's, Matthew's a different player. He gives you all the elements. He's one of the most savvy, smart, hockey young people I've been around for a long, long time. He grew up in the business. He knows it. He knows every aspect of it, including the financial side, the business side, thanks to his father. And, you know, and he loves the game. So he's going to get what he thinks he needs to get. He's very savvy in every way, shape, or form. But, but the team, as most teams, they, they don't have you know exactly what he wants. They, they have to make a good decision. They have other really good players, i.e. the reigning Norris Trophy winner, Mark Giordano, who's done a lot is making 6.75. You have Johnny Gaudreau at the same level. you got Sean Monahan. Um, again, if they were up for contract now, their world would be different. It's not. I think, you know, the team understands that. You have to pay based on the market. But, you know, and I'm not very darn good at marriage, so I should be the last guy that talks this way. <laughs> but But in this day and age, I will say this to you. When you marry somebody long-term and for a lot of money, you better get it right. Because when you don't, now you've got big problems.
3: Let's talk about that, uh, Peter, because, you know, it's easy to sit back and go, well, you know, kids these days, they make too much money, blah, blah, blah. I think that's bullshit because there are guys who, who get paid based on the market. And the market is what it is. We don't have to like it. But there is a dynamic that comes along with that. Whether you're the Edmonton Oilers with uh, McDavid and Drysidle, whether you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, or whether you're the Calgary Flames, and it's this. I love it that kids cash in. Take the money after their entry-level deal. But when you're going from 980, 975 to 7 times 8, 8 times 8, 9 times 8, It comes awful fast now, a lot faster than it used to, and good for the kids, but I'm not sure if it's good for the teams.
1: I'm not sure it's always good for the kids. And what I mean by that is, again, they're not just hockey players, they are people. And when you are making that kind of money, have that kind of responsibility, have that kind of expectation at 19 and 20 years old, you're skilled. You're incredibly gifted, but depending on what you want and what your team wants, and I think most teams still are in the business of wanting to win the Stanley Cup, hey, there's a lot of cases around the league, and you guys know it well, in Edmonton. Just because you have every skill on planet Earth doesn't mean you're completely ready to have the keys to all that goes hand in hand with the Jaguar on the Audubon. And that's not Connor McDavid's fault. That's not Austin Matthew's fault. That's not Matthew Kachuk's fault. I'm sorry, that's reality. To be a good team, you need leaders. And you need people who have been there and understand. And it. I'm sorry. And they are special people. This RFA class right now, McDavid, I mean, these are some incredibly blessed, talented players. But there's more to driving the ship than just being a talented hockey player. And that's the part of it that I don't think personally is talked about enough. And in some ways, I'm not sure it's valued enough. And on top of that, because of the way the salary structure is and everybody's paying the young people, you know what it does? It squeezes the more veteran 29 thirty year olds out, they can't have jobs in the league anymore and that's they're looked at as elite. But where do you think generally that understanding and that the knowledge and the ability to pull people together comes from? That usually takes time. That's that's part of what's missing. And and I'm fascinated to see how it all transpires when teams continue to try to build their teams in order to win a Stanley Cup.
2: Glenn Sather once said, "You know what? It's easy. Well, I guess it might have been easy for him back in the day when Barry Fraser was in his heyday, finding players. But, but finding great talented players, it's it's almost the easiest part. The toughest part is the chemistry. Getting the chemistry right to make sure that you have the correct pieces." on that team at the correct time. You take a look at the Edmonton Oilers back in the 80s, and they pick up Willie Lindstrom from the Winnipeg Jets or uh, Yaroslav Pozar. Guys like that, the role players, just seem to be the right guys to go with the talented guys. It, it, it's it's more than just having great talent, is it not?
1: Oh, it is for me, and I think it always has been, and I think it always will be. But, you know, look now at a lot of situations you know, we're handing the captaincy over to because you're the best player, that means you're the best leader? Yeah. No it doesn't. No it doesn't. No. Yep. But 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 that's the way, you know, look look at all our businesses. You know, that's not the case. Just because you're the most talented doesn't mean you know how to win. Doesn't know, mean you know how to pull people together and glue it all together. No. That's a lot to ask of young people. But, you know, again, we just go now, now, instead of you had to be more of a veteran and a presence and understand and go through it. Now we just, here, you take the C and you'll figure it out. Cause you're good. Well, maybe you won't figure it out because maybe you're a really good hockey player, but you know, you couldn't lead a one car parade.
3: Well, said. you know what? And, and Milan Lucic caught some shit for it, Uh, people were taking what he said, referring to Zdeno Chara in Boston, and having that experience, oh, it's a shot at Conor McDavid. You know what? It wasn't a shot at Conor McDavid. What it was is exactly what you're talking about. You need the top-end talent, and you need the young whiz kids, but you also need the experience and the gamesmanship. The best teams have it, don't they, Pete?
1: Well, they do, and and it. Listen, you know, you know who needs that kind of an influence? Connor McDavid, and Austin Matthews, and Mitch right. Marner. It, it's not. I'm not blaming them. It's not their fault that somebody's given them the keys to the car and expect them to pull it all together. No, that's not their fault. But just because, just because you're the most talented player on planet Earth doesn't mean that you're probably ready to figure all the rest of it out. Who the heck was at that age? I'm not ready at 53.
2: <laughs> well, well, let's let's talk about one guy that all three of us know pretty well, and that that is Jason Smith. Now, here's a guy, wasn't a star on his team, but man, oh, man, I, I saw it from inside the locker room. I saw the way guys looked at him and the way he led. You certainly have seen him in the past. Robin, you've seen him in the past. But guys like that can be just as effective a leader as somebody who's scoring a million points a game.
1: You know, Jason's really near and dear to my heart, guys, too, because I watched him play every game that he played as a junior on his way up. Right. You know, as the voice of the Regina Pats when he was a Regina Pat. And, you know, all Jason ever cared about, was one thing, winning, yeah, being at his best. Um, Bryn, you saw it from the inside. I was around the team a lot, you know, during his time with the Oilers. How many games did Jason Smith play that he had no business ever playing? <laughs> a ton. Having hel- having elbows drained, knees drained. I remember one night he had his elbow drained like two hours before the game. You know, if you're looking at somebody like that across the room and and you're not you know lifted up by what somebody like that is prepared to do yeah now i'm not so sure all the young people also have the ability cuz and it's not their fault they come from a different place this is society guys it's not hockey this is the value and you know this is a bigger show than the one that we're having now life is about one keyword it's about respect and, and respect goes everywhere in terms of the types of relationships, the bonds, and the team, and the team dynamic that you create. A lot of young people are great players, but are they ready for all of it? No, and it's not their fault, no. but that's the situation we're in.
2: Hey, before you go, and we know you you got a meeting, and we thank you for your time today, but, but before, we, before we got to you, Robin and I, there's one clip we absolutely love, and we played it uh, just before you came on, and it's a special one for us. But, Robin, you, you sum it up better than I do.
3: Well, Pete, the call that you made on the Hemsky goal yeah. after the step and <laughs> he blew it, To me, and you won't say it, so I will. (laughs) To me, it's one of the greatest calls ever. A, because of the circumstances. Nobody won the Stanley Cup that night. I get it. But to have a guy miss an open net from four feet and then have, in the last six seconds of a game, and then have the puck come all the way up and go in the net... Plus your call and Ray Ferraro was with you that night. To me, it's one of the most memorable calls of my life. And I've been around a while.
1: Well, you just, uh, you just gave me goosebumps from one end of my body to the other. Um, (laughs) You know, I, am not, I'm not going to lie. I feel incredibly fortunate that I was even in the position to have a chance because back at the time I was calling, you know, a dozen oiler games on TV at the time along you know, Kevin Quinn, who's done just such an amazing job and one of the nicest, finest people and a heck of a broadcaster. That was, uh, that was my turn that particular night against Dallas. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something I'm grateful for. It's, it's nice to hear that, that people think that I made out okay with it. And yeah, I I just, you know, it's, it's something that, yeah, I'm, I'm just really grateful. And and you hope that you you don't mess up those opportunities <laughs> when you get it. But I think anybody that knows me relatively no, well knows that, you know, I'm a pretty passionate guy. And uh, most of the time, you know, when I call a game, you know, for some people it's too much and maybe it's why I'm not doing it anymore the way I'd like to be doing it at a high level. But, um, yeah, it just, That's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And there was no script. There was no, I just, I just called it the way I saw it. And fortunately, uh, you know, most people have always said, although I do kind of get a little upset when I hear Ralph Strangis' call of it and certain (laughs) networks use it, um, you know, and Ralph did a nice job. But it's, and I don't say a lot of good things about myself, and maybe that's why I'm still not doing that (laughs) gig, but but I think that one went okay.
2: Uh, No, that was better than okay, my friend. And listen, thanks for your time. We love having you on because you're good people.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? At this point in my career, it's all about good people. And right back at you, you know, the three of us, we have some great memories and good berries in Dallas and a lot of great <laughs> days Robin, with you at the rink. And, um, it's funny, the older I get and still every year you're slugging it out in this business when you're a little older, hoping for the next one, but I've never been more thankful of my journey and the people that I met and got to work either with or beside along the way. Cause I've been pretty blessed and pretty fortunate, so thank you guys.
2: Okay, before you go, because you brought it up, and I know you're late for your meeting, the Good Berry story, quickly tell everybody what you're talking about there.
1: Well, some guy named Bryn Griffiths, who was in a very different position, we were covering the playoffs in 1998, the Oilers were in Dallas, not the year that they won the series, but the next
2: year, right.
1: after they upset Colorado, um, you know, we were in a pretty highfalutin joint to eat um you know i had about eight eight dollars to my name
2: your,
3: per, time,
1: diem. your
2: which, per diem your per was a little smaller than mine
1: <laughs> it, it, it was that's true and i think at that point in time like now in the being the world weight gain and weight loss champion um i was concerned about what i was eating at the time so i couldn't find a good option so i had to go for the fruit And the berries were about $700 (laughs) at the time. At the time, I think they were eight bucks. So while everybody was eating souffles and delicious ice cream and pies and cakes. I had these $93 mixed berries, and we've been joking about it for 30 years ever since.
2: Fresh, seasonal berries. I can still see it on the on the steakhouse menu. It was pretty pretty yeah. fantastic. Okay, it
1: was a great day, though. It was a great night. Oh, yeah. We
2: had a good time. Hey, listen, thanks for your time, and we'll check in with you during the season, okay?
1: Okay, anytime, guys. Best luck you on this new venture.
2: <laughs> thanks, Peter. Talk to you later. Joining us right now is Mr. Longest Game of Everything, Brent Sake. How are you, Brent?
0: Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having
2: me. No, uh, thanks for coming on and talking with us. I was out at the longest (laughs) game of baseball not long ago, but a few weeks ago and uh, watched the great work that you and the guys were doing on the diamond out in Sherwood Park, Alberta, generated over $600,000 for cancer research. Congratulations on everything. How did it go for you?
0: Oh, it was good. Uh, Weather was good, which is always a concern. It's kind of weird because in the wintertime, if it's cold, it doesn't matter because you just dress up warmer. But if it rains and there's thunder, that's a big problem when it comes to baseball. But it turned out good. We got a little bit of rain, and wind kept the mosquitoes away, okay and people kept visiting, so we made money. It was, it was awesome.
3: Well, Brent, th- this whole initiative that you've undertaken, people are very familiar with the world's longest hockey game, uh, and now you've had a couple of baseball games it's unbelievable whether it's the hockey or the baseball, the group of people that go out there, they strap on the equipment. It doesn't matter whether it shifts or not. This is an unbelievable event in terms of the endurance and the dedication it takes to pull off. Isn't it?
0: It is. And uh, as you say that, I, I get nervous thinking how little shape we were all in doing it, but it's, it's, it's a process of, uh, um, People with big hearts, they're all out there for the same reason. They have family that have died of cancer. And uh, that's the unfortunate part of being able to play is you have to have, um, uh, well, we'd love it if everybody had a great tie to cancer, but most of the people playing don't have a very good one. And uh, that's what kind of keeps you going and makes it easy. I'm actually in a vehicle right now, and we're going to look at lights and sea cans for the, baseball diamond I'm building at home and for me to ask friends for help is a is an easy thing and everybody just kind of just get it all done. Brent Sake joining
2: us on the Outsiders today. Brent let's let's back this up a little bit because there'll be some people listening to our podcast who have not heard of you they don't know what you do for a living tell everybody Mm -hmm. what you do and also why you started the longest game of hockey. Uh,
0: Well the the longest game of hockey started where Uh, I grew up actually playing baseball, and my first wife, uh, Susan, we uh, built a house out in Sherwood Park, outside of Sherwood Park, and said I wanted to build a hockey rink because I've never played hockey before. (laughs) So we did that, and then it just sort of happened that we were talking about the game that happened in Red Deer at the time, that they played the longest hockey game on the pond there. I figured we could do it and raise some money for my dad who died of cancer so as we were planning that one and just finished that game my my wife passed away a few months after that of cancer and so my little daughter and I and this kind of created something that was a nice legacy for my dad and and my aunt also who died a week after my wife like it was just the it was a time where um just had to try and change change what we think about and 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 what we can do about treating cancer and and in this i don't know how many years is already 15 16 years that have been doing this the amount of things that have changed from day one of cancer treatment to today is is exponential so it's it's been interesting to watch and be a part of that because when we do these games we always ask what do we buy in what's needed and that and What's the mortality rates and all these types of things, all the ugly questions and and uh, we, it's it's really cool what they're doing and we're lucky that they're doing it here in Edmonton, which is amazing. So
2: Well there's a lot of great cancer facilities all across Canada and throughout the US yep. but the one thing that I've loved about watching the way you guys do it is you focus in on something and to be able to a few years later, after let's say a particular game, a couple of years later to go in and see the millions of dollars that were spent on certain pieces of equipment, which are really making a difference in people's lives. has got to just give you such a wonderful feeling that you're doing the right thing for so many mm-hmm. others.
0: Yeah. It, uh, I've lost lots of patients. I'm an optometrist as my sort of, that seems like my hobby now with all the time we're spending on this stuff, but <laughs> they, uh, um, in that I get patients tell me all the time, hey, I, I use the machine. It has your, there's a plaque with the world's longest hockey game on it uh, in front of the machine that I use and and they're living and it's crazy. Yeah, just to hear that type of stuff. It, it, it's It's simple. It's simple math of just listening to people tell you that kind of stuff and then going through or hearing stories as we're building the next thing like this, this ball diamond that we're starting now, we're just at the beginning stages of it. And as people come and help, I'm meeting new people and learning about their lives and and what they've had to deal with and, and all those kinds of things.
3: You know, Brent, uh, you know, this as well as anybody, because I've watched you uh, countless times standing out at center ice or on the ball field. I'm happy to say that uh, I've brought my young son out there and my wife and we've watched and, lucky enough to know some of the people that take part the passion that's out there uh, is real you don't need to stage this event it's as real as it gets you've been touched by it everybody out on that ice or on that ball fields touched by it and unfortunately the reality is if you haven't been touched by it yet you probably will be one day this is a fight yeah. worth fighting and I see that in every Every time a guy walks through that gate and skates on the ice, or runs out onto that ball field, and anybody who hasn't seen it, you must sit back sometimes and go, "Holy hell, this is unbelievable!"
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. We had a lot of fun with a couple of friends that came out at three in the morning and did play by play on the microphone. <laughs> and there was uh, there was there was quite a few people out there. It's I always try to play late at night to see. The people that come and watch and Mm -hmm. and that type of stuff It uh i I still don't know this lady's name so i'm hoping one day she'll tell me who it is if she ever hears something i'm talking about but uh just came out at three in the morning her husband just died at the cross and she came to the hockey game and i just asked her why she's out there in the cold by herself and she was all of 80 years old wow just sat there and her husband wanted to go but couldn't go and and that that's not the rare story. Like that story is that yeah. happens a lot. People yeah. find uh, right from the ball game. One of the players took his bat, uh, went over to the hospital, and uh, um, and gave a bat to his to his father-in-law. That's in stage four cancer right now.
2: Wow. I'm involved with uh, the Cross Cancer Institute Golf Tournament and that we do a Toast of the Town event, which we did this year. And uh, we also did uh, just over $600,000. But, you know, when you start adding everything up with your 600000 we can really make a huge difference through the Cure Cancer Foundation.
0: Yeah. The, um, the, the, this Cure Cancer Foundation thing started uh, roughly about a, a year ago. And it's basically a volunteer driven foundation is is kind of how the 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 questions all came about it um which is amazing so there's some great people they asked me to see if i'd like to get involved in that because what it allows us to do now is and i'm not knocking any foundations but it's sometimes difficult to get through uh some red tape and navigate through the economics of of foundations that's just the cost of fundraising and i think Right, we all need to respect that. And um, what uh, what the CCF is able to do now, though, is to say, like an event like mine, uh, we raised about six hundred thousand bucks, I think it was, and and out of that, exactly six hundred thousand dollars went to exactly where it was supposed to. the The cost of the event was split up between the fifty six players and and other people. We had some sponsors and stuff that, you know, brought us a tent and did some things for us and that type of stuff. So it was it was one check in and one check out and it went to where it was supposed to go. It was a piece of cake.
2: Love it. So Quickly. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. What's what's up next? Hockey coming up again?
0: Uh twenty twenty one, we're playing again. All right.
2: <laughs> Take a breather, man. You deserve it. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks for your Thank time you today. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Brent. Thank you right. very much. <laughs>
2: Well, that's it for another edition of The Outsiders. Wow, we've uh, we've been all over the place today, but I've really enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, I, it was fun talking to Pete Labardius. We've both known him a long time. And Brent's sake, uh, the world's longest hockey game, the world's longest baseball game. I tell you what, that whole group, uh, whether you're from Edmonton or right across the country, if you look this up and you can ever get to this part of the country, to watch one of these games. It is literally a life-changing event. You'll stand there, you'll be amazed at what you see. Um, It's terrific.
2: Also check out Cure Cancer Foundation as well on uh, their website because they do great work. And and as we always say, just because it's being done in a certain location doesn't mean that it can't benefit people in other locations all across Canada and throughout the US Mm -hmm. because they all talk to one another. All of these wonderful, wonderful places that do so much hard work. And there's a lot of sad stories. There's a lot of success stories. And so, uh, so they all talk to one another. So every little bit of really positive enthusiasm and information is passed along from one place to another. So we can all do something special here.
3: And research is research. If, if there is something discovered, a process, a piece of equipment uh, that can make a difference, that goes not only right across this country, but across the border, and it can go around the world. The dollars that go into research are very important. So it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, it's a game and an event that matters.
2: Obviously, we talked to Peter Labardius today in Calgary to see what's going on with the Flames. We're going to continue to uh, endeavor to do that with the Edmonton Oilers and the Vancouver Canucks for sure, even the Winnipeg Jets out here in Western mm-hmm. Canada. We'll see how far it goes, but also the NHL season is not far away. we got a dash, Robin. Yeah,
3: it's, we got to get out of here, man. It's
2: been a lot of fun today, and we look very much forward to having you with us on the next edition of The Outsiders. <laughs>
0: Recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.